Hey, how's it going? My name is Stephen Marks and welcome to the Spirit and Truth podcast. My purpose with all of these teachings is to equip you with the word of God and help you understand your authority, your power, your victory and mission as a believer in Jesus Christ. So you go from glory to glory and victory to victory by the power of Holy Spirit who lives in you. So enjoy, God bless and let's get our generation saved. Good morning and welcome to episode number three of Money Management and Stewardship, right? We're still going through the points of um, different things that a lot of Christians actually believe that prove they believe in the biblical prosperity of God's financial empowerment of you to meet the needs of your family and to meet the needs of a hurting world around you, right? Which we went through in uh, the first episode and then carried on to go through in the second episode. And now we're going to finish the last four points I wanted to make on this. And they've all been amazing, right? We've covered the fact that the Bible specifically speaks about it. We covered the fact that poverty is without a doubt a curse. We've covered the fact that Jesus wasn't poor, that if money is so evil, why would we even have any? That the blessing of Abraham is extended to Christians, that uh, prosperity does coexist with suffering and persecution. And to say it doesn't is unscriptural. We've also covered that it's hypocritical to speak against something that we sit and enjoy. So we've covered a lot. And so if any of that you want to revisit, it's in the previous three episodes, right? And it's, it's, it's super quick to the point. That's been my goal with all of these podcasts is to give in-depth knowledge as quick as possible and as simply as I possibly can, right? And so if there's any questions, if there's any thoughts, any concerns, don't hesitate. Reach out to me. I'm all for it, right? I want to have these conversations. I want to press in. People need to know what's theirs in the kingdom, right? So we're going to dive straight into my next four little points that I wanted to make with regard to what people or a lot of Christians actually believe that prove they believe in prosperity, whether they know it or not, right? And so here we go. Here's the uh, point number nine, which is the world is far better off with the wealth in the hands of the righteous than in the hands of of the wicked, right? Doesn't take an idiot. I mean, it doesn't take a rocket science to to think that up, right? You don't have to be super intelligent to figure that out. Obviously, if the wealth of the world was in the hands of the righteous, it's way better. And why do I say that? It's because it's a biblical principle, right? If you go with me to Proverbs 13, 22, it literally says this, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, all right? So your great-grandchildren, But a sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous. It's literally saying that the wealth that the wicked goes after in the world comes into the hands of the righteous simply because the righteous are righteous. Isn't that amazing? And what are you? The righteousness of God, according to 2 Corinthians 5.21. So this does apply to you, right? Then you think about this in Proverbs 22.7. It says, the rich rules over the poor and the borrower is a slave to the lender. So who's rich? We are in Christ. That's why we rule over Satan. As believers, we're a different breed, right? A lot of people love that podcast of the believer's authority being a different breed to the rest of the people in the world. That's why we rule over Satan. So in the same way with our finances, we rule over this world, right? The system of this world of debt, not our portion. We don't head into debt. As believers, we're called not to go into debt. Why? Because then we're a slave to the lender. And we're not slaves to the lender. We're not slaves the same way the world is slaves. It says we're slaves unto righteousness. So if anything, you're a slave to Christ, but to no one else. Does that make sense? All right. 
So then you think about this. Psalm 112 specifically speaks about wealth and riches being in the house of the righteous and him not being moved ever. Right? Look at this. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in all his commandments. His offspring will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house and his righteousness endures forever. So it's the righteous, right, that receive the wealth of the wicked. Like dawns, excuse me, in the darkness of the upright, he is gracious, merciful and righteous. It is well with the man who deals generously and lends, who conducts all his affairs with justice. That's why our definition includes meeting the needs of a hurting world, because we want to deal generously with others and lend, not borrow, but lend. For the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. He's not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, right? Steadfastness in God, trusting in the Lord. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid until he looks on triumph on his adversaries. He is distributed freely and is given to the poor. Again, enriched to be a blessing, enriched to be generous, just like 2 Corinthians 9.11 calls us to be, right? He's distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn is exalted, right? Then in verse 10, it says, The wicked man sees it and is angry. He gnashes his teeth, melts away, and the desires of the wicked will perish. In other words, wicked people see Christians and the righteousness of God or the believers getting wealthy or having success, and they hate it. That's why the fight on prosperity is not actually academic. Because if it was academic, people would settle it like that. Because the Bible says so. That's what I went over in the beginning. It's not academic. It's demonic. The church, if it was wealthy, would establish so much more than if it was poor. Therefore, the devil wants the church poor. What do you do? You then start deceiving the church to want to become poor, to delight in being poor. When it delights in being poor, it gets nothing done because it has no way to get it done, right? Because you cut off all the, you cut off the hands that, not cut off the hands, you tie God's hands. Why? Because Haggai 2, I believe verse 8, literally says, all the gold and silver in the earth is mine. So if you don't even want what is God's, then it's not going to work for you, right? Because you think it's evil. And it's not evil because Jesus even had money, right? He said the love of money is the sin or the love of mammon, the demon behind money, not the, the money itself, right? So then think about this. Let's go to 2 Corinthians uh, 4. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 4. I'm going to start there. I want to hit this point hard because it's, it's important. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 4 says this. In their case, the God of this world has blinded their minds for uh, minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of uh, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Who's the God of this world? Satan. 1 John 4, 4 literally says, Greater is he who's in you than he who's in, in the world. That's the Spirit of God. Okay? And then in, in Ephesians, it goes one step deeper. Right? Listen to this. Ephesians 2 verse 1 or verse 2. It says, you followed the, 
Let's go in verse 1. And you were dead in your trespasses and in the sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is a work in the sons of disobedience or people who don't believe, right? They disobey. They're choosing to be sons of the devil because the devil is disobedient first, right? Among whom we all once lived. We as believers once lived. We don't live anymore. In the passion of our flesh carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. In other words, when people covered off the money to satisfy the flesh and their mind or their carnal soul, right, which is mind, will, and emotions that are not renewed and transformed by the word of God, as Romans 12 verse 1 and 2 calls us to do, they're constantly seeking after mammon or the God behind, not the God behind money, the demon behind money, small g, God, right? That's what people seek after, and that's the God of this world, and that's what leads people into poverty. It's this mindset of coveting that's a problem. And so back to the point, the world is far better off with the wealth in the world in the hands of the righteous than in the hands of the wicked. Obvious. Doesn't take a rocket science to believe that or to understand that and to understand how the Bible lays that out. So here's the next one. If rich people didn't go to heaven and that... uh, Sorry, if rich people didn't go to heaven, then basically every Bible character from Adam is in hell. If you think about this and why I wanted to hit this is what people say. What about the rich man, you know, the rich young ruler in uh, Matthew 19, 24? It says that, you know, what do I have to do to enter eternal life? And Jesus said, you need to keep all the commandments. He says, I've done all of this since I was a young boy. So Jesus said, okay, you lack one thing. Take everything you have, sell it, give it to the poor and come and follow me. Okay. So then the rich young ruler turned away and he walked away, sorrowful, okay? Then Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, I'm telling you, it's going to be harder for a rich person to enter heaven than for the camel to enter an eye of a needle. What's he talking about? Because that's impossible. So then people said, how can, we, how can anyone enter heaven because that's impossible? Yes, it is impossible to enter heaven. So what is it? Impossible with man is possible with God. What happens? With God, we have Jesus Christ. That's how we get into heaven. That's your ticket into heaven. Not whether you're rich or poor, whether you have Jesus Christ. God covering you is what gets you into heaven. So what's the eye of the needle that he's talking about? He's talking about the little hole that camels had to go through in Jerusalem to get through the wall. If you're rich, you have abundance of things piled up on your camel. You have to unload it all, get the camel in, get the stuff through, load it back up and carry on to go and trade. It's a huge procedure. So the more camels you have, the more wealth you have, the more you have to do before getting in. So what's what's the deeper meaning here? It's saying that people who are exceptionally wealthy before coming to know the Lord are going to have a harder time or take longer to give themselves fully to the Lord than someone who already recognizes their need and they're in poverty. And then they hear good news of the gospel. Oh my goodness, this is going to change my life. Lord, I give you my life 100%. I got nothing to lose. Look where I am. You're going to take me up. I can see that. And then you start to see God changing things in your life automatically. People who are wealthy already don't necessarily have that mindset. And so now if you say that rich people cannot enter the kingdom of heaven, think about this. Who was rich? Adam was rich. He had everything in the garden given to him. That's wealth. Then you think about it. Abraham, exceptionally rich. It talks about him growing in wealth, growing in gold, silver, and wealth. Then it talks about Isaac, same thing growing and expanding in wealth to the point that the Philistines said, you're too powerful for us. So he's exceptionally rich. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, 
all the sons of Jacob. Then you think about Joseph, second place in, in Egypt, the most wealthy nation in like all the earth. Then it carries on and on and on. Solomon, David, all these characters are wealthy beyond your imagination. And so if they can't get into heaven, how the heck do you think anyone's going to get into heaven? Even if you're poor today, you're most likely better off than a lot of those people, right? Simply because of how funds has grown and worked and everything. So actually, you can't get into heaven at all. Like, and all, Sorry, yeah, now we're back at the point. If rich people didn't get into heaven, then all the Bible characters are basically in hell, which doesn't make sense, right? So we can all believe and agree on that. So we believe in biblical prosperity automatically. Okay, next one. Offerings are clearly taught in Scripture as a reward system. So a lot of people are like, yeah, I just I give to God because I give to Him. I don't want anything in return. Well, that's not what God teaches. That's not biblically correct. All right, if we look at what does Scripture say about giving? I want to start in Galatians 6. It clearly lays out the law of sowing and reaping. In other words, we give in order to get. That's like if you operate like that, if you think, oh, you know, I just give to God because I want to give to God for no other reason but to give to God, that it doesn't make sense because that's like saying, I just plant my field because, you know, I just, I really love planting. I love farming, but I, I don't really want to harvest. It doesn't make sense. The whole point of farming is so then you get a harvest. Right? The Lord literally says, I am the Lord. I teach you how to profit. Actually, I should probably Google that. So then you're not thinking this guy's saying a whole bunch of rubbish. Let me see. Let me just Google that. I am the Lord. I teach you how to profit. This will be good for someone. Isaiah 48 verse 17. Thus says the Lord your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, um, I am the first, I am the last, and there's no one besides me. I teach you to prosper. Or I teach you to profit, right? So then check at this. Money is a reward system. This is an important one, so I'm going to go a bit longer on this, just so then we really get this in the, in the bag. Okay? Galatians 6, it says this. Let, verse 6, let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his flesh will reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will, from the Spirit, reap eternal life. Okay? So what is that talking about? It's talking about what's talked about in Luke. Alright? 6 verse 8. Let me read that. Matthew, Mark, Luke 6 verse 8 says this. Sorry, verse 38. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be into your lap. Wow. Will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Talking about sowing and reaping. Then you think about Malachi 3, 6 to 10. What does it say? Return to me and I'll return to you. Bring the full tithe and offering into my house and I will open up the windows of heaven. It says, test me in this and see if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour down a blessing too great. There isn't enough room to store. In other words, just bring the tithe and offering in the correct way and the blessing of God comes upon you in greater measure than you brought. Then you think about Psalm. 34 verse 8 to 10. It says, taste and see that the Lord is good, right? The young lions hunger and they have lack, 
but those who are righteous, those who fear the Lord, lack no good thing, right? Then we think 2 Corinthians 9, verse 10 to 11, it's off the end of when Paul speaks specifically to sowing and reaping. Go read from verse 6. It says, whoever sows sparingly, reaps sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully, right? God is not mocked. He provides you with seed and he provides you with bread every single day and he will enrich you to be generous and produce thanksgiving in every way. So you will be enriched. Then you think about Philippians 4, 10 to 20. Paul is going after the fact that if you give, there's credit on your account. Why? Because of Acts 20, 35, which says it is more blessed to give than to receive. How is it more blessed if you give? Because not only are you giving and then what you give will be brought back to you in accordance with the word, but there is an increase. Just like when you plant one little corn seed, you get like three ears per corn stalk of other seed that's called a harvest that that's abundantly blessed that's 30 fold sometimes 60 fold sometimes a hundred fold like what isaac had what you planted a hundred fold right and we just read that in mark 10 verse 28 to 30 it says if you give up lands if you give up houses if you give up people for the kingdom of god or finances for the kingdom of god you will reap 30, 60, and 100 fold in this life with persecutions and in the future to come, right? And in get eternal life. So then we look at the book of Haggai. And the whole book is written about stop worrying about your own life and building your own house and build the house of the Lord. And when you get concerned with the house of the Lord, God blesses you. That's the whole point of the book. And when God blesses, he pours down the blessing. It's crazy. You've got to read the whole book. It's really short, but it's really clever. And it's, it's amazing how it's written. The Lord's been so good, right? Then the book of Malachi, literally written about offerings and why you need to do it. Not only in the correct, well, not only do you need to do it, you need to do it in the correct way. You need to bring the full tithe, the full offering into the house of the Lord. So we see in scripture, offerings are clearly taught as a reward system, which means we can believe actually in biblical prosperity off the bat and you might not even have known that yet you are a christian and you believe these things and then my final point for today finally you know it's not impossible to increase financially and start loving money more than god right you know it's not impossible that and god knows that's not impossible that's why he said in deuteronomy 8 verse 18 he said you shall remember the Lord your God. Or when you come into prosperity, when you come into the land, you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is Him who's given you the power to get wealth, that He may confirm His covenant that He swore to you and to your fathers in this day, or to establish His kingdom on earth. That's the reason you have wealth, to establish the kingdom on earth. Then you think about it again, was spoken of in 1 John, right? Let me read it now to you. 1 John 2 Verse 15, it says, don't love the world. It says, don't love the world or the things of this world, including finance, but also cars, watches, clothes, all that kind of stuff, right? If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, desires of the eyes, the pride of life or the pride of knowing, wisdom, is not from the Father, but from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. So there you see, you can't let the things that the Lord brings into your life because of blessing, 
become the things that you love more than God. No, you show the Lord, Lord, thank you so much. How do you honor him for that? You then start taking what I'm going to speak in the future about now the laws of, okay, how do we manage our money correctly so that we're not falling into this idea of loving money more than God? How do we now use the increase that God's given in the biblical way? Not to necessarily get more, though that that, that is a blessing, but to honor God for the increase and to show him it doesn't have a hold on me. I don't covet after these things more than I eagerly covet after you, God, and your gifts. That's why 1 Corinthians 14 spoke specifically about eagerly desire the greatest gifts or earnestly covet after them, right? And God's good because uh, Hebrews 11 verse 6 says that those who Okay, no, it says it's impossible to please God without faith. But if, you're to draw, if you were to draw near to God, you must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who diligently seek him, right? He's a rewarding God if you're diligent about it. That's why you've got to be diligent even with your finances. So again, final point, you know it's not impossible to increase financially and to start loving money more than God. Therefore, it's important to know how to use your finances correctly. And that's why you and I can both agree that we believe in the biblical definition of prosperity, which is God's financial empowerment of you to meet the needs of your family and the needs of the hurting world around you, according to 2 Corinthians 9, 11, right? Which is amazing. So be blessed. I know today went a bit longer. I love you. Tomorrow, I'm super excited. We're going to dive into the actual laws of biblical money management and stewardship. I'll see you tomorrow.